You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Well, uh, if you're new here, let me welcome you. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's really our joy to have you with us uh, this morning. Thanks for coming to worship with us. And we are uh, in a series we're calling DTR, Define the Relationship, Define the Church Relationship. So we have, uh, we normally, our normal practice is we just teach straight through books of the Bible. We just finished Ephesians and we're doing a little short series here. Um, before Easter to help us come out of the last kind of two years of uh, challenge throughout the world, all kinds of challenges, but to really come out of the last two years and uh, pull back together in a sense and say, who are we? What is the church? What is our calling? What does it mean to be a part of the church? And this is how this idea for this series got started. Uh, I was at a new member's lunch. So we do a we do a class called Starting Point on Sunday mornings for those who want to join the church. And then at the end of that, we have a, a nice lunch together with the class and share a few kind of final things. So I was at, a, uh, at, at, at one of these lunches. It was the first we did with the new format of the class. And um, I was supposed to get up and say a few things, and Caleb was going to get up and say a few things. And so Caleb got up, and uh, he shared with everyone there, I want to share with you the four G's of church membership, letter G, the four G's of what it means to be a member. And I thought, wow, I've never heard the four G's, didn't know we had four G's. Please do tell, Caleb, what are the four G's? And so he began to walk through and he said, well, the first is G for gather. We gather together on the Lord's Day. If you'll notice, that's what I talked about last week, gathering on the Lord's Day. The second G is groups that uh, we really seek to grow and as disciples following the Lord in, uh, in small group where we can have fellowship and uh, prayer and bear one another's burdens and apply the scripture to our lives. Um, the third G, he said, is that being a part of a church means that we give. We give of our time. We give of our resources. Uh, we give of our gifts to serve other people. And uh, the last G is that we go. So we're not only the church gathered, but we're the church scattered throughout the various places God calls us to uh, and seek to be faithful for him. And I instantly, as he was sharing that, I just thought that is a teaching series. Now, I have more marketing savvy than Caleb, and I realized because I've seen um, T-Mobile and Verizon commercials, at least, and realized that 4G is out and 5G is in, and uh, I have 5G on my phone, and I've never dropped so many calls in my entire life, so I think it's all made up, but at any rate, uh, so I knew 4G would be very, very 2020, and uh, we needed 5G, so I added one uh, without his permission, 
And that is, all of this is for the G, glory of God. So the church exists for his glory. And so that's really what this series is. I didn't want to call it 5G because I thought that sounded cheesy. So I picked something cheesy like DTR, um, equally cheesy. But so anyway, I didn't go with 5G. But that's what we're talking about. So last week we talked about, uh, we began by talking about we are the family of God. That's our identity. Uh, Last week we talked about uh, the fact that we gather, the first G, we gather on the Lord's Day, uh, and when we gather, uh, God is uniquely present among us. And we looked at that uh, from the Scripture and considered the idea theologically that we, Paul says that we are the new temple, we are the temple of God, so that when we are together, the presence of God is uniquely uh, among us as his people. So we talked uh, about that. Uh, and today I want to talk about uh, our gathering in groups. We gather in small groups for discipleship and ministry and mutual ministry together. And uh, one of the reasons that we do that is because, well, we just can't accomplish all that the Lord wants to accomplish in the people of God uh, in a gathering like this on a Sunday morning. And to look at this, uh, I wanted to look at Hebrews 10. So today we're going to camp in this passage of Scripture, Hebrews 10, which gives us a real vision for being connected together and gathering together to encourage, to spur on one another. And uh, so for us, groups are not just a ministry among many. Uh, It's like this meeting. Uh, It is a a core, uh, fundamental part of who we are and what we do. Just like we see in the early church in the book of Acts, they met in the temple courts and they met from house to house. So they had something for a season there anyway in the book of Acts. They had something of a larger gathering and something of a more intimate, personal gathering as well. So we're going to look at Hebrews 10 for this, verses 19 through 25. God's word to us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water." Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, this passage uh, reflects what Christ has done for us, and then it gives us three exhortations or three commands. I'm going to really camp on the third of those today, but I want to look at the first two because we don't want to just yank it out of its context. There's a flow of thought in this passage that we need to understand. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is really a warning. The whole book is a warning 
to Christians in the first century who were beginning to drift away from the Lord. Uh, it's a relevant topic for the church in our country today as well, uh, because there is a drift that has taken place uh, in recent years in the church. So this is relevant for us, though their drift may be different uh, from the many drifting uh, purposes today. Uh, their drift had to do with going back to, these were uh, Jews that were converted to Christianity, going back to sort of a works-based or a law, we could say a, they were going back to a law-driven faith. And so he's calling them, the book is calling them not to go back to a law-driven faith, but to realize that Jesus is so much greater than all they had under the Old Covenant. That the Old Covenant uh, points to Jesus and points to the New Covenant that he would make. And so the whole book is saying how Jesus is better than uh, the angels, Jesus is better than Moses, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and calling them not to go back, but to turn to him. And so in this chapter, we see that Jesus Jesus is better because he provides something that we can find nowhere else. Jesus provides access to God. He is God and provides access, a new access for, God, for, uh, to, for us to God. So we see that in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, these are Christians. That's why he says brothers. It's an inclusive term, meaning brothers and sisters. We talked about that two weeks ago. That's the most common designation of a Christian in the New Testament is brothers and sisters because we're family. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, so he's setting up, he's saying, because this has happened, because God has done this, we should do this. And he's going to say three things we should do. But, but first of all, he says, because God has done this, what has God done? Well, uh, God has opened uh, a door to his presence uh, through Jesus Christ. We have confidence to enter into his presence. Now, this is language about the temple. Uh, God's presence was uniquely dwelling in the Holy of Holies. And no one could go in there. There was a curtain that separated that off from the priest and the people. Once a year, the high priest would go in there and offer a sacrifice. But with the death of Christ by his blood, he is the once and for all sacrifice. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that now because of Jesus' death, we have access to God's presence. There's no curtain. There's no barrier because his sacrifice is once and for all. And he says that not only did Jesus make this possible by his blood, not only is Jesus the sacrifice, but he's also the high priest. So we don't need a priest. We don't need to bring a sacrifice because he is the sacrifice, and this is such glorious good news that we have access to God in a way that no one had prior to the coming of Jesus. And because of that amazing truth, that he is our sacrifice, he is our high priest, because of that, there are three exhortations here. With that in mind, he says three things. He says, first of all, draw near to God. Then he says, hold on to the profession of your faith, and then he says, stir up. Uh, consider how you can stir up one another 
to love and good deeds. So we're going to camp on number three, but first of all, we're going to look at the other two. He does say, draw near to God, verse 22. Let us draw near to God because Jesus has opened the way. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water. Individually and together, we are to draw near to God because Christ has made the way. He is the way. He has made the way, and so we are to draw near to God. He's saying, don't hang back. Don't stay distant from God. Don't think that you need to uh, somehow clean yourself up before God will welcome you. Don't, don't think that God is living with this posture of being mad at you or uh, just, you know, always disappointed in you so that you fail to approach him. Don't think that you are condemned and you cannot come into his presence. Don't think that God, uh, he, he's putting up with you, but one day he'll be really excited about you when you get to a certain level of holiness. And so he, God loves a future version of you and puts up with the present version of you. Don't think those things. Don't lay back. Don't think that you've got to produce a sacrifice on your own to be acceptable. Don't think that you've got to do enough good works that God welcomes you. If you are a believer, the command is draw near, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart, with full assurance of my behavior, full assurance that I've kept the law. No, full assurance of faith, faith in Christ with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So we are cleansed by his blood, by his death, On our behalf, come before him, for you are given access. And that's a word for some of us today, that we have been holding back, or we've been distant, or we've we've failed to approach God because we think uh, that somehow God doesn't want us really to approach. And he says, draw near. Secondly, much like the Psalm 40 that we just heard, read here, uh, hold fast to the confession of our hope, verse 23. So draw near and... Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So he's saying, hold on. Don't give up your faith. There's plenty of people here that are starting to drift. They're, they're, uh, they're starting to drift for any number of reasons, but one primary reason is they're being persecuted. So there's coming pushback to their faith, and he's saying, hold on, because God is faithful to you. Look down at verse, uh, I don't have this on the screen, but look down at verse 32 uh, because this describes the situation that they're going through. Uh, He says, recall the former days when you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So remember when you were first enlightened, when you first came to faith in Jesus, you first professed your faith, you had suffering, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. It says, remember when you first believed, you actually had property confiscated. There was physical persecution against you. Remember that, and don't throw away your confidence, because he is faithful. And that's clearly a word for some of us here today as well. 
who, who, are, who are wondering, where are you, Lord? What's going on? Why, if I believe in Jesus, why is it so hard? Many people get converted and they go, you know, since I became a Christian, my life's actually harder. Yes, there's a clear conscience. Yes, there's peace in my soul. Uh, yes, I experience God's presence in various ways. But circumstantially, my life is more difficult. That's the story of the New Testament, that people meet Christ and all of a sudden, family members and friends become uh, enemies or become uh, at least you know, questioning and pushing back and that sort of stuff. And he says, hold fast to your hope, verse 23. Hold fast. That is a good word to all of us. Hold fast. Why? Because my grip will keep me in his hand? No, hold fast because he's faithful. You hold on because he's holding on. Uh, your security is in his hold. But given that he's holding, don't drift away, but hold back. Hold on to him as your hope. Now, if that's all we had, if we just had, if the passage ended there and we just had God opened a way, so draw near and hold on, we could have a very individualistic understanding of faith. If that's all we had, we could say, you know what? Uh, okay, fair enough. Uh, if that's the case, then give me my Bible and uh, give me my prayer closet and Jesus and I, we will, we're good. But that's not. He goes on and he says, because God has opened a way, because you're called to draw near, because you're called to hold on to the profession of your faith, your confession of hope in Jesus, the next statement, he compels us to community. Because he says, because of all of that, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So based on all of that, let's be together and stir up one another to love and good works. And, and he really, there's more than one command here, isn't there? Verse 24, let us consider, first of all, how to stir up one another love and good works. Consider it. It means to pay attention, to think about, to look closely at. Look closely at how you can stir up one another to love and good deeds. Think about this, he's saying. Consider, think about what would God have you do to help someone else Love God and love others and obey Christ more. Now, this presumes relationships. It, it presumes that he's writing to people that uh, are connected, uh, that are uh, acquainted with one another. It, it's, it's difficult to know one another. Uh, it, you know, it's difficult to consider how to stir up one another if we don't know one another. So this isn't a vague group of people. He's not talking about the body of Christ at large, internationally. He's talking about who are you connected to? Stir one another up. Who are the people in your life that you can do sort of the one another's of Scripture with? Think about those. And, and for us, this is one of the primary reasons we have groups in our church because we can't, it's hard to accomplish this in this room. To walk in, I mean, there's some things you could do, uh, but to walk in and say, okay, today my focus in the gathered church is I'm going to be personally stirring up 
50 people to love and good works. That's a very difficult thing to do in a gathering like this where you don't know everybody. And that's why we break into smaller groups where we can know one another and we can consider how could I stir up someone else because we know one another. We're with one another. And there's something meaningful about that. Consider. So he starts with, think about this. Give focus to this. In his commentary on the book of Hebrews, Richard Phillips writes the following. He says, first comes the verb consider, which has to do with our thinking. We are accustomed to think only of ourselves, but our thoughts are better given to others. Is someone doubting? Is he discouraged? Is she tempted? Without needless prying, we should give thought to the condition of those around us. If we are not doing this, then we are nothing more than takers, consumers of religion. I recently heard someone on a podcast, and this was kind of a guru kind of a guy uh, who's written books and was talking about various things. And uh, he was talking, the conversation, he was a guest on a show, and the conversation got to um, the gathered church and being with people versus being online uh, versus, you know, interacting personally. And he said, well, the question really is, of course it's better to be in person, but is it worth it? And, and when he said that, I just thought that, that, is, that is the thinking of the day. It's consumer thinking. Is it worth it for me? to make the effort and go through the trouble, uh, get the kids dressed, um, you know, to gather with people. The same could be said about a midweek small group. You know, of course it's better to be there. We know that. But is it worth it? Is it worth it? Well, the question is, is to consider not is it worth for me to receive anything out of whatever I do, but is it is it, is it better, is it worth it for me to be able to consider how I can stir other people up, how I can help someone else, how I can bear someone else's burden? If we would simply slow down and consider how I can, the NIV says, spur one another on, how I can spur someone on, how, how different uh, local churches would be if we all lived with that. Because we are to love one another, but we are also to help one another love one another. Consider how you can stir up others to love and good works. So clearly throughout the Bible, we're told to love others. But here, it's how can you help others love others? How can you help others follow in the good works? It says, verse 24, the good works that God has called them to live in. It's a very different mindset. It's an upside-down kingdom. The, the kingdom of God is always flowing the opposite direction of a secular culture, which says, how can I get my needs met? How can I, you know, uh, how, what's best for me? What's worth it for me to invest in to receive a personal benefit? What's the return on investment for me personally? And so we bring that same mentality into the kingdom of God and we'll spend our entire lives 
uh, having that drilled out of us by the grace of God, to have a different point of view which says, uh, is it worth it for the glory of God? Is it worth it for the good of my neighbor? Those are the questions to ask. Well, how does this happen? How is it that we, so consider how to stir one another up. Well, how do we stir one another up? Well, he says here that it starts with something very simple, just showing up. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. I really love this because the whole passage can feel kind of daunting. There's this stuff about the holy place and this curtain and sacrifice and high priest. So there's all this sort of theological uh, stuff about access to God. And, And then after that, there is this call that we are to draw near, and what, how do we draw near and hold on? Well, how do I do that? So there's all of this, this stuff that it's telling us. And then when he says to stir one another up, how do we do that? He says, well, it's practical. It starts with just show up. Show up. He says, don't neglect meeting together. This has become a habit for some of the people that he's writing to in the book of Hebrews. Don't get into the habit of being distant from one another. Don't neglect this important calling to be together. And why? Well, he just said before, hold on to the profession. Hold on to your confession of faith. He just said, people are drifting. He just said, remember how you've been persecuted. Don't give up. Don't throw away your confidence. But instead, get together. Because you will lose confidence in Christ on your own. All of us do. So meet together, at least in context, minimally, to help one another draw near to God. And to help one another hang on and persevere. Just show up. This is a powerful call. That It's so easy to drift away. And I think this was a call to them. And I think it's a call to the church today. As much as any other time that I'm aware of. Be together. Over the last two years, many have developed the habit of neglecting to meet. And it's called here a habit. The habit of some, not neglecting to meet together, verse 25, as is the habit of some. And, you know, we can intentionally form habits by proactive. That's that's a whole industry, isn't it? Books on habits and all that kind of stuff. We can intentionally form habits uh, or we can just sort of, by inertia, drift into habits. We will all, without some check on ourselves, all drift into all kinds of habits. And here, the habit of not meeting, uh, this is one that is, that it just, it's not like one day somebody that he's writing to said, you know, I believe in Jesus, I'm drawing near, I'm holding on, I'm with everybody, and then woke up one morning and said, okay, I'm done, I'm, I'm out on that one. It's always a process. I think in the last couple of years, for some, it started with just, well, I'm sort of with my group uh, digitally when everybody was together on Zoom. But when the group regathered, it was, there was a habit, maybe a, nest, maybe a helpful one, but there was a habit that it was just easy to stay to myself. 
Because it's a lot of work to, it's not a lot of work to, uh, you know, click on Zoom, but it could be a lot of work to get somewhere and be with someone, uh, a group of people. I've seen over the years, it can happen when there's just a change. So I'm connected to some group of believers. We have a regular rhythm. Uh, it's a group, a community group or something, and we meet you know, every other week, and we've got this regular pattern. And then something happens. There's a change of schedule. Work changed. Okay, so I can't, I can't get there. I now have to work later, so it's impossible for me to get to the meeting. Or we lost our babysitter. Or, well, last season... The practices for the kids weren't on Wednesday night. Now they are. And so those are not sinful things. Working a different hour, going to a practice, the babysitter's got a life too. Uh, So those are not sinful, wrong things. But what happens is there comes a pattern. So then the thought is, well, you know what? I tell you what, I'm going to coast. And when groups restart in August, I'm going to jump in then. But August comes... And there's, it's, there's, it's so difficult, so much energy to get going that, you know what, they said they kind of started in January as well. I think I'm going to do the marriage class then or whatever. And what happens is we just drift into a habit, a habit that was never intentional to begin with. And then we lose meaningful interaction with groups of people where we have fellowship and we apply scripture together, Uh, groups of people where we study the scripture, we pray, we bear one another's burdens. We use our spiritual gifts that God's given us. We, We just sort of develop a habit. That's what he's talking about here. Their habit was formed, maybe theirs was fear driven. I don't know. Maybe it was, you know, the persecution intensified when you gathered. And uh, so maybe it was just easier not to gather and try to do it on your own because then at least you didn't get the pushback. I don't know, but I do know they were persecuted, so that could be part of it. But note the contrast here. There's a, there's a very, it's, it's a very sharp contrast, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together on the one hand, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So he's, he's making this case, the author is, that Instead of neglecting to meet, encourage one another. Implied there is you won't encourage others if you aren't present with others. We all need regular encouragement. And we all need encouragement to draw near. We all need encouragement uh, to hold on and persevere. We all have burdens that the Lord has provided a means of carrying those burdens called the church. Sometimes we may just be saying, hey, Lord, take this burden, and we should always pray that. But the Lord's answer to that prayer might be a person who's going to come alongside and carry that burden. But if I am not connecting and in a context where I'm sharing your burdens and you mine, then I may just feel like, why isn't, the, I'm just carrying this. Where is, where is the Lord in all of this? For the people in the book, in the first century that the book of Hebrews is written written to, separation was devastating. And he did not want them to be devastated. This last week or last couple of days may, may not have 
clued you in, but spring is here, almost here. Uh, and, you know, what was it? Was it Thursday or whatever day? It was just freezing. I was like, whoa, this does not feel like we're near spring. But we are near spring, and spring is, uh, kicks off a lot of things. But uh, grilling season is one of them. Some of you grill 24, I mean, 12 months out of the year. Well, some of you grill 24 months out of the year, but uh, 12 months out of the year. But everybody kind of gets it going. It's more culturally starts happening in the spring and um, that sort of thing. And I've shared the illustration before of, you know, taking a pile of, taking charcoal, individual charcoal uh, pieces and piling them together and lighting them so that they heat up. Uh, to be able to create a a flame to uh, grill meats or whatever you're grilling. So to have a pile of them, have you ever done that? And you notice that as they are connected, uh, it starts in the center. You just see a red, just a red glow that just begins to spread throughout the pile. And there's always that one lone or a couple of lone pieces of charcoal that are outside the pile. They, They somehow fell off and you didn't get them back on. And so after a while, your stack of uh, charcoal, uh, briquettes or whatever, the, the stack of them will be white hot, ready to grill. But the two separated, the one separated from the others will be as cold as the moment you pulled it out of the, uh, out of the bag. It's, a, it's a, I think, a vivid picture of what it's like in the body of Christ, that we warm one another. That that's what he says. We stir one another up to love and to good deeds. That, that there's something we can do that stoke the fires in our brothers and our sisters. And, and, and yet being separate from that connection where there is a warmth generated, well, we, we isolate and isolation is dangerous. Once we meet together, how is it that we encourage one another? Because it's more than showing up. It may not be less than that, but we can't just all show up somewhere and say, well, we're in the room, so now God's going to do amazing things. How is it that we encourage one another? And I have a couple, couple ideas here. Uh, for you on how I think this works, and then uh, we'll wrap up with communion together. So don't neglect meeting together, verse 25, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do we encourage one another? Well, I think one, and this is it's connected to the text for sure, one is by we encourage by reminder. We encourage by reminder. We tend to forget about what the Savior has done to us for us. We tend to forget about this open access and this clean conscience and the blood of Christ. We tend to forget about what that really means. Every time we gather on a Sunday, we're reminded through songs and prayers and scripture and teaching and fellowship. We're reminded through serving. We're reminded of what Jesus did. I mean, frequently I have aha moments on Sunday Sunday saying, yes, this is right. I, I wasn't thinking about this all week. Uh, but now, yes, it reconfirms, it reaffirms, I am reminded. Communion, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And we talked last week that it may be more than a reminder, but it certainly is a reminder as well of what Christ has done for us and what is central to us. Um, Verse uh, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. We need reminders that he's faithful. 
when I'm in a small group setting with some other believers and someone shares about God's faithfulness to them, you know what happens? I, I, I am stirred to trust the Lord with my problem, with my question, with my issue, because I hear how he's been faithful in someone else's life. The same is true as I, uh, as I share something that God has been faithful to me and then you are encouraged to persevere. Uh, they are experiencing difficulty, but there is strength in community. The community for them is to be a refuge, a safe place, a place of uh, being reminded of the faithfulness of God. Because when you are isolated, you can forget about the faithfulness of God, especially when it's not going well, especially when you're in a trial, especially when you're having a pushback for your faith. The writer of Hebrews knows that isolation would be deadly for drifting believers as they are tempted to believe, uh, drift. And let's make uh, no mistake, we are all tempted to drift. And if we don't think we ever would or ever could, then the drift has begun. The drift has begun because we're proud. For them to isolate themselves would be deadly. We need the reminder of interacting with others. I need the reminder, even in hearing someone pray that God is good, God is faithful. We underestimate our need for regular reminder, I believe, of the basic truths of Scripture. C.S. Lewis said that we have more need to be reminded than instructed. If you're a brand new Christian, that may not be true. But if you've been a Christian any length of time, we have more need to be reminded than be instructed. Secondly, not only are we encouraged by reminder when we have fellowship together around God's word, but we're encouraged by example. I, I can't even begin to say how much I've learned from the example of others that I've been in small group community with. Can't even begin how much I've learned if I go back over the years, start, starting back when I was a teenager even. I've been provoked. The goal is to provoke to love and good works. I've been provoked to love and good works by the example of others, by their marriage, by their work ethic, by how they reach out to their neighbor, whatever it is, by how they walk through a trial. Paul said in, uh, at one point, Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. And then in Philippians 4.9, he says, what you've heard and received, I'm sorry, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So he's saying, hey, we've been together. I was with you in Philippi. We've been together as a group. What you've seen in my life, imitate that. Now we say, okay, well, we're not the Apostle Paul. Granted. But the same God that lived in the Apostle Paul and was changing his character lives in you and is changing you. No, we're not the Apostle Paul. But God has done something in you. And there's something there to be shared with others. And there's something for you to learn for others. God is preparing you. God is preparing you for a trial right now by having you next to someone bearing their burden in a trial and watching how by the grace of God they faithfully walk through it. He's preparing you. He's preparing you. Single adult, God's preparing you. If he calls you to marriage, he's preparing you for marriage by the example of a married couple that you get a window into their life, not just the joyous moments, but some of the troubles that they're asking for prayer for in the group. You're, getting a, you're, you're being prepared by 
example. We need models. We need models. Now, we don't cut and paste someone else's example. Uh, that's dangerous. I've seen that happen. Where we, well, they do this, so I'm going to do that. We need to understand the biblical reason behind a certain practice. If it's a practice with freedom where we, that could be practiced in different ways, then we need to go to the Lord and find our own practice, uh, not just mindlessly imitating what other people do externally. That can be Pharisaism pretty easily. But we should learn and benefit from the practices of others. And when we understand those, uh, how they do things, then we should do likewise. That's discipleship. That's what discipleship is, that we learn from others. And so in relationship with others or example, we can learn how do you have a devotional life. I don't have to do it exactly the same, but what's the principles and what can I learn? How do you have a devotional life? Uh, how, uh, how do you uh, relate as a married couple? As a student, how do you do your studies? Uh, how, do you, uh, how do you manage your time or budget your money? All these kinds of issues. How do you, how do you work? How do you rest? How do you fast? How do you feast? What are you reading? How do you evangelize? These kinds of things are learned by the example of others, and they can be learned in one-on-one discipleship, but they can be learned in groups as well. If you're a, a younger person, uh, say someone uh, you know in your 20s, I view that as young, uh, someone in your 30s, there's a lot of opportunity to learn from those who are, have more seasoning Uh, and experience and have made more mistakes than you've been able to in your life so far. Maybe you say, well, that doesn't relate to me. I'm not an example for anyone. I'm a mess. Go to your group, say that you're a mess, and you just became an example. Because that that is usually the most powerful example in community is humility, reality, authenticity, So you may not know tons of Bible, and you may not have been a Christian for 30 years like somebody else in the group, but you can be real, and that stirs everything up. You ever been in a group where someone got real all of a sudden? Everybody's kind of sharing little, you know, kind of test the waters, feeling it, and then somebody goes deep, goes in, just jumps in. Well, here's what's going on in my life. Whoa. It changes everything. So you say, I'm a mess. You actually might be the person that changes your group more than anyone else, including the leader, by being real. A couple more and we're done. So we're encouraged by reminder. We're encouraged by example. So encourage one another. Don't neglect meeting together, but encourage one another. We're encouraged by love. Encourage others to love in good deeds. When you express love to someone, it has a multiplying effect, or it can. It can have a multiplying effect. So you express love to someone else. They receive that, and then they're affected by the love of God, encounter him, and then go and share that same love to someone else. Um, How do you learn to care for someone else? Oftentimes, it's through the care you received personally. How do you encourage someone else? Oftentimes it's through the encouragement that you have received. How do you learn to bear someone else's burden? It's you just remember how someone bore your burden. They loved you and you loved others. So the reality is stirring people up to love and good deeds can be expressing love and good deeds towards them so that they experience that and pass on what they have experienced. When someone listens to you and prays for you, helps you in a practical way, 
corrects you in a loving way, gives to you, uh, then you experience the practical effect of the love of God. And finally this, we are encouraged by perspective. If the last two years has taught us anything, and I'm sure this was going on in, for the Hebrews audience, it's that we can get stuck in our own little world. We can get stuck with a, a, a tightly uh, sort of cultivated group of voices that inform us and instruct us, and we can get stuck in our own heads. But community brings perspective. God has called us to be a part of something beyond ourselves, and other people have different experiences and different ideas and different wisdom and different uh, input. We are to encourage one another by being together in, in, in this sort of uh, in iron sharpening, our encouraging one another type of environment. And in so doing, in walking out community with others, we will learn from different perspectives, which is so healthy. And it's one of the reasons that polarization has, is just rampant in our culture is because we, as I said, we cultivate a certain, we get an echo chamber of certain ideas and we don't learn from someone else's experience. We don't broaden that everybody else's experience isn't exactly like mine, for good or for bad. He says to do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're helping each other prepare for the return of Christ, is what he's saying. Don't neglect being together because you are preparing for his return. As you support one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, help one another, you are preparing to, for, for, for Christ's return. You are the bride of Christ being beautified for the returning son of man. That's who we are. We stir one another up because we're preparing to meet him. And left to ourselves, we lose that perspective. We need the perspective. This is not all there is. He is coming. There's a new day, a dawning at his return, a, the ushering in of a new heavens and a new earth. And we need that eternal perspective. God has provided a great gift in Jesus, the ultimate gift who made a new way. And he gives us this great welcome invitation, draw near. And he promises to be faithful and hang on. And then he gives us this key gift that brings all that together and ensures that we uh, remain his until his return. And that is he gives us community to spur one another on, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to be present with one another as we anticipate his return. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reality today that you indeed have um, opened the way for us. You've called us together. You've drawn us to yourself. You've given us grace to press on and continue. And you've given us the body, a people, to join together. And we pray, God, that you would help us in the various environments for fellowship and care and relationship and discipleship that you've given us, that we would, Lord, not neglect that, not neglect the gift of the people of God. Lord, we don't have some kind of lofty vision of <clears throat> paradise on earth. We know that uh, the church is broken because people are broken. 
We know that relationships are not perfect, that they're messy at times and that it's difficult. And at times we see very little progress, but we trust you. And we gather most of all because you call us to, because we see our need and because we want to bless our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.